Hey everybody, this week's episode is brought to you in part by Squarespace. Andrew, what's Squarespace? It's a website that helps you do other websites. If you have a cool idea and you want to put it on the web, you need to turn to Squarespace. They have beautiful templates created by world-class designers, built-in search engine optimization, and 24-7 award-winning customer support to help you put your stuff online and help people find it. Um, (laughs) If you want to sign up, for a Squarespace website today, you need to go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Squarespace websites. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And this week we have a little bit of a surprise for you. We were invited on the SSR podcast uh, by Allie, our friend Allie over at SSR, invited us to take part in Manuary, um, which is a just, fun... Representation is so important and I'm so glad that we got to represent <laughs> this. Uh, this up and coming group yes. on the SSR podcast. We had a great time talking about uh, Vampires Never Wear Polka Dots, which is the first book in the Bailey School Kids series, which you and I had never read. I don't think she had read it. Never read either. it before. Yeah, no, the SSR podcast is it's it is a similar pitch in that every week she reads a book, but it is it's more revisiting stuff from like childhood and like YA stuff and so it was a, it was a cool compliment to our uh, books we've never read before format I think yeah and she always has guests on so she had us on she recently uh, talked about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory she had Jeopardy champ Emma Butcher on a little while ago to talk about um, what did she have her talk about uh, opposite of always by Justin Reynolds so a lot of cool stuff on her show that you should go listen to, but we present this to you, our collaboration with her on Vampires Don't Wear Polka Dots. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Craig. Welcome to SSR. Thanks. Hi. <laughs> Not to put any pressure on you or on the situation, but I have to tell you that you guys collectively were, I think, maybe the most requested guest for Manuary this year. We have a lot mm-hmm. of overlap in our listeners. That's good. And lots of people wanted to hear from you. And the book we're talking about is also a hotly requested title. So again, no pressure, <laughs> but like, we, you know, there's a lot of people that are excited for this. I mean, in this, in this fast paced, high pressure, podcasting world i think you just have to be prepared for this kind of thing when it happens right like i i feel i'm i feel chill i'm good yeah you just have to be ready to jump in and take the opportunity as it comes right yeah i'm terrified uh Mm -hmm. i think that i could only mess this up um i'm glad to hear that there are some friendly listeners out there who will recognize us and are excited to be here um but who boy what if i what if I don't get it right? This is like when we do like works of classic literature that people have really strong opinions about. And then we like 
only make fun of part of the middle and then they're like why didn't you talk about the rest of it and we're like well we have 300 episodes to tell you what the show's like you know by now yeah see i feel Uh, like we're gonna be just fine because i have i share that experience i share the experience (laughs) of being terrified when i talk about to kill a mockingbird and also the experience of like being terrified when I criticize one of the babysitters of the babysitters club and not the other. So like we have it on both spectrums. So I think we're going to know how to communicate, how we're going to like speak to the masses. And I will say that the SSR community is a very friendly one. So don't stress. Everybody's very excited to have you. <laughs> Great. Okay. We are excited to be here. And we, well, Craig is scared. I'm excited. Yes. <laughs> All right. Everybody take a deep breath. No stress. Here we are. We're talking about Bailey School Kids. How can you be stressed out when you're talking about the Bailey School Kids? We're talking about the first title in the series, Vampires Don't Wear Polka Dots. I'd love to talk about why you decided that this was the book that you wanted to chat about on SSR. Yeah. Craig, do you want to go? Yeah, I do. Because <laughs> I don't think I'd heard about these books before. And so you gave us a couple options. And I was like, this sounds good. I liked the name. And I looked up the series because, like, is this a is this a series I should have known about? And I don't, I couldn't really place it. Um, but then I saw a bunch of the other titles in the series, and I thought this is a book for me um, mm-hmm. because there are easily what, like, fifty to eight, maybe more. There's maybe more like than 80. eighty, yeah, because there's, there's all these like books. series extensions. So there's like the main yes. series, and then there are like super specials and like holiday ones. There's a whole range. So I saw I saw that one of them was called Dracula Doesn't Rock and Roll. And I was like, what? this sounds good. Or Ninjas seems- Don't... Go ahead. What about what do you want to say no, about Dracula? Say, that seems that seems prescriptive. Like it does. Do you feel Most like he does though wants. rock and roll? Don't you think maybe he feels like more of a rock and roll guy? I just he- if you have infinite time, right? Mm. And you have a big castle, so nobody's gonna call the cops on you for being too noisy. Like I think he has time to get good at rock and roll if he wants to. That's true. But mm. maybe he's been around long enough that he knows that rock and roll is passe. It was always a fad and he's over mm. it. Sure. Why ninjas don't bake pumpkin pie is a thing that I'm still wondering. <laughs> pumpkin pie is delicious. Well, and they could probably do it very fast and efficiently. Yeah, very sneakily. Right. Yes. So, and they can probably clean up really well, which is the real challenge in a pie baking project. If you were a ninja, you could like take care of the mess really fast. So like, why wouldn't you try to make a pie? Truth. Skeletons <laughs> also don't play tubas. Um, that makes sense because you don't like have you played a tuba you need a lot of like lung capacity yes, just to blow into that thing they and do skeletons not. famously have no lungs <laughs> they're very well known for their not lungs the key True. part of being a skeleton is the lack of the organs generally um okay. i think the santa claus not mopping floor ones is pretty <laughs> well that's just that's is that, santa has people for that I mean, is I that because that one makes sense mrs claus is responsible for mopping the floors because that seems mm. a little unreasonable mm. yeah it does, i mean it does seem unreasonable i think the elves could take a break from like making playstations and apple watches and stuff to mop the floors it's the least they could do put down those Beyblades, pick up a mop let's go (laughs) yeah it's Um, a hilarious set of titles why did when i andrew i said this sounds fun what what did you think anything about it were you i mean that that's what i thought too because like you craig i had i missed these uh as a school I think we all have, you know, our, our series yes. of like long running kids chapter books that we keyed into. Like I was big into Goosebumps. 
Yes. I read some Matt Christopher books. Yes. I did sneak some of my sister's Babysitter Club books. Mm-hmm. Nice. Sometimes. I read a lot and, of the yeah. Young Jedi Knights books that are no longer <laughs> canon, but that's fine. Do you feel like you wasted your time now that they're not canon? I, I wasted some beach trips reading those books. Yeah, I think I did. <laughs> Is any beach but, reading like really wasted though? Like truly. Yeah. It's true. But um, yeah, I was just, I saw the, obviously the titles, but then also just the, like the prolificness. Mm. And I really, I I wanted to get into it to explore a little bit. Yeah. So I did not read them myself. I was aware of them. So the first book came out in 1990, the one we're talking about. And um, so it's the exact same age as me, fun fact. Um, And (laughs) I feel like books that were kind of like this length, this format, I just sort of missed because I was such a big reader that like, I kind of feel like I went from picture books and like Dr. Seuss to like more of a babysitter's club-esque kind of book. Like I just, this sort of like 70, 80 page chapter book, not to sound like an asshole, just like never like appealed to me, (laughs) I guess, as a kid. Um, So I feel like I missed a lot of these sort of like junior chapter books. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, It just wasn't my thing. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, I'm trying to think what my own transition from kids books to chapter books was. I feel like it was Goosebumps, but like my mom also got me into like The Hobbit really early. So maybe I just felt like I... And Narnia was a big thing for me too. So yeah, maybe maybe I just skipped over these because I wanted to, I don't know, read the stuff that my mom was reading. Because moms are cool. But also yeah. Goosebumps is more substantial. I mean, those books are more substantial yeah. than these. So yes. yeah, certainly. This is like definitely something you would skip. But like I never read Magic Treehouse, which I know is another like hugely popular series from this era. And I feel like they're maybe a little bit longer than these Bailey school kids books. But like, again, mm-hmm. just, I, I skipped them. So I knew about these books, but when all of these listeners were asking me about them, um, I just like, wasn't familiar. I think I may have read the Santa Claus one at some point, just because like I was into Santa Claus and I saw it at the library, but this was not like a series that I was interested in. And then when I was learning about it and like trying to get a sense of what the overall theme of the series was, I was like, this is, this is super weird. And I probably wouldn't have liked it anyway as a kid. (laughs) I was struck that it's like co it's co-authored and always has been Mm -hmm. by Marsha T Jones and Debbie Dady, I believe. Yeah. I listened, I listened to her pronounce her own voice and I believe I remember it correctly. Um, and they were both like teachers working in the same school or one was a teacher and one was a librarian at the same time. And they were kind of dealing with rowdy kids and then decided what if we wrote a book about what we could do to them and like envisioning (laughs) how they deal with adults that they don't understand. Um, which is just really cool. And yeah, it seems born out of dealing with readers of this age that I think, yeah, I kind of maybe skipped it too, or I just don't recall whatever I was reading when when folks might have read these books. In my mind, I went right from um, Tom Mulligan's Steam Shovel to uh, My Side of the Mountain. Like, I don't know what I read in between. 
in like first sure. and second grade. I mean, I you got to no get idea. in some of those like like your Shilohs or your Ooh. Where the Red Fern Grows is like sure. some of your sad dog books are <laughs> classic early chapter books. I'm glad you you made a point to say that you're aware that those are both sad dog books because I wanted I, when <laughs> yeah. you were listing those two, I, I was like a little concerned for a second. I was like, did you ever read a book where the dog lived? I just want to make sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's a whole subgenre of, of early chapter book though is like Old Yeller and then those two. I don't, I guess yep. I can't name any others off the top of my head but three is enough to be like its own genre yes (laughs) it's just heavy it's a heavy reading and i hope for your sake that you didn't read them back to back or anything like that because that would really uh, ruin maybe reading as a whole for you and also dogs probably (laughs) it would ruin dogs you're (laughs) right sad to think about oh my god (laughs) i feel terrible for you so this series (laughs) as i understand Craig, what's the most important distinctive part of a vampire? Their bitey, bitey teeth. Yeah, that's right. And that's why we're so happy to be sponsored by Quip this week. Quip makes a good toothbrush that teaches you good habits. That means brushing for two minutes twice a day and flossing regularly no matter what brand you use. Quip's electric brush has sensitive sonic vibrations with a built-in timer and 30-second pulses that uh, guides you to a full and even clean, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Quip floss dispenser comes with pre-marked string to help you use just enough, not too much, not too little. And Quip delivers a fresh brush head, floss, and toothpaste refills to your door every three months with free shipping, so your routine is always right. Even if your routine is during the day, even if your you're routine a vampire. Is during the day because you're a vampire, yeah, and you work that graveyard shift biting kids in the neck. Uh, so if you go to getquip.com slash overdue right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free of $5 value at getquip.com slash overdue, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash overdue. Quip, the good habits company. I don't understand. I didn't understand the ending of this book. So I finished yes. the book and was like very frustrated by it because listeners like if, I'm sure that no one, unless you have kids, have, have read this particular book recently. I think a lot of the other books we talk about, um, maybe people are more likely to have reread just because they are longer and there's like a little bit more to them. But the this is a 77 page chapter book. So I would think that it's not something that a lot of people are going to reread. Um Although it took it takes like ten minutes to read it, so not a huge time commitment there. But there's really no resolution. Like the end of the book is basically like the kid says, "I'm not going to tell you what happened with the teacher who we think is a vampire." And so they all are sort of like, "Okay, I guess we won't ever find out if she's a vampire." Um, and everybody goes on their merry way and like lives the rest of their school year without really talking about it again. And I was super annoyed by the ending. Um, and I like marked up the last page of the book and I was like, what the hell? Like, who would think this is a great ending of a book? Who wants to read this? (laughs) But according to my research, I guess this is the format for all of the books. Like in every one of the books in the series, the kids think that one of the adults is some sort of a mythical creature. Um, they spend... 50 to 60 pages trying to figure it out and get to the bottom of it. And then at the end, they never know. That part is wild to me because, <laughs> may, okay, maybe it's ambiguous whether she is a vampire or not. But it is, there. there is pretty 
incontrovertible evidence in this book that she is some manner of magical being. Like she clearly hypnotizes a kid with her brooch or, or whatever it is. Her eyes flash in a way that is described very distinctively several times. Like she, she's got something going on. Like maybe she's just a mind flayer and not a vampire, <laughs> but yeah, it, she's not just a person. It, yeah. I, w- I too was shocked that it is like, that is a hallmark of the series is uh, the title introduces like what, the adult might be oh well vampires don't wear polka dots so she can't be a vampire and then you meet her mrs jeepers very early in the book and you're like okay well this is the woman who we're going to wonder if she's a vampire for the whole book and then yeah you get to the end and you don't know no one knows it's not even like a character is keeping a secret other than mrs jeepers right and you the reader i guess are left to speculate which is a cool, I guess that's a cool gift to give to a kid is like, hey, read this book. And then by the end of it, maybe you'll think they're a vampire or you'll wonder exactly what she is. And then your imagination can go from there. But it does, to a to an adult reader, it does feel like a squandered opportunity to either like subvert, meet, or otherwise upend expectations. It feels like an oddly paced ending. I guess reading reading about other books in the series, there's a whole it, there's a series of eight uh, super specials they're called. Uh oh, that are all focused on Mrs. Jeepers, including <laughs> books like Mrs. Jeepers' the Secret Cave and Mrs. Jeepers on Vampire Island. And are the books still? trying to be ambiguous about whether she's a vampire or not the whole time or does it caught like in book number two it's like oh yeah she's a vampire Let's oh do go. you mean mrs jeepers bet batty vacation yeah, yeah that's that's number two in the series i mean are you volunteering to read all of them because it kind of sounds like you might be and if you are then i think you should report back and let us know it would only take an hour like i could go and do it it's true come back i don't know they're super specials that means they're twice as long probably mm, true 160 pages <laughs> <laughs> it is weird to read these as an adult and and you know obviously i read a lot of books now as an adult that are meant for younger readers and to some degree i'm always kind of having to suspend some level of disbelief um, or like try to put myself back um, in middle school or high school, um, in this case, really elementary school. But I would say like this book more than any other book I've read for the podcast, like it was almost impossible for me to like suspend the appropriate level of disbelief because I was just so frustrated by it. And it was like, like you said, I feel like somebody should know the answer to this question. Um, It was hard for me getting to the end of it and realizing like there was nothing really that I was supposed to be trying to get to the bottom of because there's no solution. And I, I don't know, it just frustrated me a lot. And I think like, of course, it should frustrate me as an adult reader. It's not written for me. And I think you're right that there is some joy <laughs> in giving this to a kid and being like, okay, you figure out if Mrs. Jeepers is a vampire. I think that's true. Um, but it, it is hard coming to this as an adult without any child involved and then trying to like sure. have a commentary about it. Yeah. <laughs> did, did either of you have um, teachers who actually read to you at all? Like this is a thing that my sixth grade teacher did was he read us. Um, I think a wrinkle in time and and where the red fern grows both. 
I remember um, a lot of popcorn just, reading. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if I remember the. I can't place a teacher reading to us after like picture books, like after sure. like I'm gonna read the page, show the page, kind of stuff. But it, it was an interesting. I mean, it's an interesting way to consume a book. You know, like week by week, day by day, however yeah, yeah. The unit of time was. But the interesting thing about it is that it does create like a lot of opportunities to actually dig into a book and like discuss it and what you think about what's happening. And it does seem like this book is maybe because it's written by teachers geared to be a group read where you put it down and then the teacher talks to like first or second or third graders about like, Oh, do you think she's a vampire? Why or why not? Like it's, it's a sort of, Mm -hmm. it's a primer to, like interrogating a text, I guess, yeah. if, if I'm going to get all like ivory towery about it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, there were a few things that I loved more as an elementary schooler than being read to and being read like from a chapter mm-hmm. book. Once we graduated from that picture book stage, like I loved when teachers would read a couple of pages from a chapter book every day. And I had a lot of teachers that did that. I think you're right that this is a great sort of intro to book club. And when I was researching or like, there's, I mean, there's not that much out there about this series that I found. Um, but when I was trying to do a deep dive into this book and this series for our conversation, so much of what I found was like discussion guides and book club guides. Um, mm-hmm. So I think like this book probably is best consumed, maybe intended to be consumed in that way because Yeah, I think there's a great opportunity, especially for like third and fourth graders to be like, so do you think she's a vampire or like what would you do to figure out if she's a vampire? Um, I think maybe that's probably like the best way to read it. And to your point, maybe it it came from the fact that it was teachers behind the series. Yeah, it it would explain why the book doesn't come out and say she's a vampire, but does leave like very obvious breadcrumbs. Like she hypnotizes a kid (laughs) and she takes him out in the hallway and does some unspeakable thing to his mind. And then he can't talk about it. It's very strange. (laughs) I also thought it was very strange when she like grabbed the kids, like when she grabbed them and pulled them into her house, that for me was possibly even weirder than the hypnotizing moment because the kids are just sort of like snooping around at her house, which they obviously think is haunted, um, as kids do. And, um, she's like, Oh great. I'm lonely. You should come in and like grabs them and pulls them inside. Um, which is obviously inappropriate (laughs) on so many levels and would be like my first red flag but not that she was a vampire but just that like there's something going on like she needs some friends or she needs to have some other things going on so that she's not so lonely that she needs to pull children into her home yeah 1990 was a different time but i don't think it was that different no <laughs> i don't, I don't <laughs> that think feels it was like that a stretch different. yeah i don't think yeah. that's forgivable um I do even think, by 90 like, standards I think it's interesting, like, the setup of this book feels very keyed into what an elementary schooler might be thinking about, right? Where it's like, okay, I am, I was never in a classroom whose primary goal was to make teachers go away. Like, I I can't quite identify with that uh, because the book does open up with our main characters just being, just delighting in a woman getting her hands covered in mint shaving cream and being told to leave. Oh yeah, they destroy right. a woman's career. Yeah, yes. she f- presumably she goes to Alaska. They say. Well, and I don't know if you in the in the illustration, like she's also like an older woman. So like now this elderly, probably lovely 
career educator um, is now yes. out of a job because you guys just think it's fun <laughs> to give people a hard time during yeah. their work days. Just six months from retirement. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, shame. The illustrations are why John, Stephen, Gurney, they're all very, very good. Um, and then, yeah, the next day or after some interminable amount of time, unclear if they got uh, a substitute and ran those people ragged or not. But then we get their egg-shaped teacher, their egg-shaped principal introducing Mr. Mrs. Jeepers, <laughs> who has a strange accent has very simple rules that they all think are like make her a pushover. And they and Eddie, oh God, Eddie, is Problem. like, let's get rid let's get we rid of talk her. About Eddie. And I just I just don't know. I'm sure I knew Eddie's. I was not an Eddie. But I don't think I've ever been in a classroom that was that teacher antagonistic. That was like and I'm sure this is kind of played up for laughs for like right. kid laughs. Right. Um, I feel like the way the kids treat her and has like a substitute like substitute teacher energy like if it's somebody who you know is temporary and you don't need to respect their authority like you do your normal teacher this is how you treat them yeah i don't know man eddie, think, <laughs> eddie thinks he can erase every teacher from existence like eddie's goal is to abolish teachers yeah i, I made a note where when he had said like okay now we're gonna get rid of mrs jeepers i wrote in my book in all caps to what end like <laughs> So you're going to get rid of Mrs. Jeepers now, and then are you going to continue to do this with the next teacher? Like, what's the point? At at what point are you just going to realize, like, there's going to be a teacher in my classroom, and I'm going to have to live with them? I I don't understand what the end goal is, really. True. Mm -hmm. Eddie is a reformer who is railing against the establishment, I think is what what this book makes clear. Mm. And he he is out to, like... (laughs) prove that this apparently happens in the other books too he is the first one to be like well this person's not xyz monster i'm just gonna get in there and eddie them until they prove to be mortal and flee me because i'm amazing whereas like the other kids like liza in particular is like thinks that their next teacher is going to come out of a book that she read like she is an imaginative little girl who is more than happy to entertain that this vampire woman is here to rule them forever. Um, And then we have Melody and Howie who like come and go throughout the book. Melody, I think has the next like biggest role after Eddie. um, Cause she doesn't want Eddie. She doesn't take any crap from Eddie basically. (laughs) I mean, I do. I have to say this teacher to student ratio is really exceptional. That's true. That's one of the things I noticed as I think there are maybe like eight kids in this class. There are four main characters and every class has main (laughs) characters. Let's be honest. I feel like Um, it's maybe a private school because it's a really small class. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Then Eddie has like obvious undiagnosed like behavioral issues that somebody needs to deal with. So yeah, I'm not sure. I pulled out one quote where he says, Eddie couldn't believe how well the class was behaving. It really bothered him. (laughs) Nobody had thrown a paper wad of spitball for days. It was was as if Mrs. Jeepers had turned everyone into a goody goody. Everyone but Eddie. Eddie hated being good. It made him sick. He was just itching to cause some trouble. I just love that Eddie's like default mode is anarchy. Like he's like something is awry if people are actually behaving and being calm. Like something is wrong. Um, it's so dramatic. It's pretty good though. His 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 world as he understands it has been turned upside down by this teacher who can command attention and respect, and he is not going to take it lying down. It's a power no. struggle. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just like that his so that so like after they learn that she is like moved into the creepy house in town, which is and you were saying it's like it is weird that she's immediately like come into my house, children. Right. Like, like that I'm doesn't moving. seem like that seems weird to me. And it doesn't seem like someone who would get a back like did she get her background checks cleared like from creepy Romania and then as someone who just on the street will pull children into her house like that doesn't seem right yeah maybe it's I not mean, a that, private that, school I don't know maybe I'm wrong <laughs> <laughs> the thing that the thing that ter- terrified me the most about that interaction actually is one of the kids says no we have to go home we have homework and she says no I didn't assign you homework come on in and to call, you know, we all tell these small white lies to get out of social engagements, and we all know that they're not real, but we don't, we don't call attention to it. True, yeah. And she is breaking that that important social norm, like the the right that all humans have to make up something to get out of meeting a casual acquaintance. Yeah, that's my basic human right. And if if people started <laughs> calling me out on that, then I would yeah. be put in a lot of situations that I have absolutely no desire no desire to be in. Yeah, I mean, it's, talk about anarchy. I think society just falls apart. So that was it. Was tough. Every yeah, yeah every manny manic pixie dream girl character has been like, no, you don't have stuff to do, Stephen. Let's go. <laughs> ride a motorcycle like that's every one of those movies and she she, this i mean mrs jeepers is might as well be a vampire pixie dream girl yeah um, i was gonna say are we calling her a manic pixie dream girl i don't know that's the i don't actually like that term and so i probably shouldn't deploy it on this book but um is she she zoe deschanel like i'm not sure who we're how are we imagining her that's not if I was going to pick a Deschanel to play her in the screen adaptation, it would probably be Emily Deschanel. Actually. Andrew, but we can't that's... we can't just go on someone else's podcast and talk about Bones. <laughs> nope, I'm not. I didn't talk about Bones. You talk about Bones. Oh, I just no. talked about Emily Deschanel. Is this becoming a Bones She's... podcast? Andrew, no. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, I can't promote Andrew's nascent Bones podcast on someone else's podcast. It isn't okay. even overdue. It's not. No. <laughs> Guys, don't break up, please. I don't want to break up the overdue podcast just because you are hotly requested for Manuary. I'm really sorry. <laughs> anyway. Right, so the kids explore this haunted house and they come away with more questions than answers. So what happens next? Well, then we get Eddie's like, here's, we. I, I thought about this because we were talking about Eddie as a force of anarchy. Right. And like what he does because he's like, let's go. And he's mad that everyone's behaving. And he, here are step by step what he does. He crinkles paper very loudly. Mm-hmm. He drums his pencil on the desk. He makes goldfish noises. Mm-hmm. What is that? I'm picturing it more as like a goldfish face. And I was thinking about doing it on mic, but <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure. First of all, we just met. They, and. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, I feel like the noise is like when you do that thing where you like squeeze your lips together and then some, I'm just going to do it. It's like, <laughs> like it sounds more like, oh a, yeah, right? I know, I know. Oh, sure. It's like, I was going to, my version is like a more hollow, like, <laughs> okay. This is the this best is a, radio. This is good. Amazing. Aural <laughs> really good content. Really great. So there's like a whole, there's like an image of him doing it. Like, and, and I guess people are like laughing and finding him funny. 
And then he just stands up and drops his math book on the floor, like very loudly. (laughs) And we get the first of like three or four moments where she just stares at him and goes, that's enough. I've had enough. (laughs) Taking control. It's... He's just like the next day. It's like let me sh- sharpen my pencil real loud and wiggle my yeah, hips. Yeah, I like when he was wiggling his hips. I really wanted to make sure we got to that where he's like, you know what? How I'm really gonna fuck things up? I'm gonna stand up here. I'm gonna wiggle my hips. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. <laughs> For so I saw every like. Uh, so when you go to baseball games these days, there is usually. Like in between innings, they put the can, you know, they're like, get try to get up on the jumbotron. We're gonna play some goofy music and like make you do like kiss cam or whatever. And there's usually one that's just like do a silly dance. And like the parts that are the cringiest are like nine year old boys doing Fortnite dances in the stands or whatever it is, <laughs> just looking like goobers because they're not they're not graceful. They're all angular and awkward. And they're not actually trying to be, like, pleasant. They're trying to weird you out. (laughs) And that's all I could think about was this moment where Eddie's, like, using one of those old-school pencil sharpeners, probably doing it to, like, a weird rhythm and wiggling his hips in a way that is designed to disrupt math class. (laughs) Couldn't take it. The only visual I had, and I don't want to assume that you that either of you have or have not seen the movie Bridesmaids, but in the movie Bridesmaids, there's this awkward moment where the main character is like awkwardly sitting in the living room of her date's house where she's like waiting for him to get ready and she's just hanging out with his kid and he's like probably eight or nine years old and he's a very socially awkward child and at one point he just stands up and he's like, want to see my dance? And he does this weird thing where he just like moves his hips like really abruptly like to, from one side to the next and then like front and back and she's like, cool, great. And I think that's probably what Eddie was doing. <laughs> I... I think I like Eddie. I I kind of think he sucks too, but I really he's the force of this book. Like Yeah, maybe, he is. I I Maybe I have want, Eddie Stockholm syndrome. I don't know. I want I I came away from the book wanting to know what Eddie needs because it's sure. clearly like attention in some form. But I don't know. Like does he need like more one more of a one-on-one teaching experience? Like he's kind of all these kids are in this class just trying to learn, and he's disrupting it. Do you think it's things true. are hard for him at home? Are you worried about his home situation? That's another thing about the Bailey School kids is we don't see any of the Bailey School parents. True. Like, the kids sort of materialize under an oak tree to talk about their battle plan every morning yeah. when they go into class. We yeah. don't really see anybody's home life. Let me, I, I, let me read a thing, actually. from This is from Common Sense Media, where you can go to like get like background info on books and movies and stuff for kids. Um, And there's a section that says, what parents need to know about the Bailey School kids. Parents need to know that Marsha Thornton-Jones and Debbie Dady's Bailey School Kids series is a bunch of playful adventures featuring inquisitive kids with boundless imaginations. The kids are largely unsupervised, but there's always a sense (laughs) that parents are around and caring for them. Um, I don't. (laughs) Debatable. Maybe maybe that manifests in the other books. I don't know. This kind of had like a Peanuts vibe where like no one... Re- appears to be like uh on the brink of any sort of trouble like no one is like in between meals no one is suffering ad you know like really overt hardship um and which then begs a bunch of questions around like what's going on with eddie right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um because like it's not like we're learning certainly not in this book maybe it happens in other books i don't know um 
there's nothing about these kids home lives really at all which you can i guess take it it seems like that is meant to be as like it's fine everybody's fine this is just about them at school um who knows i bet you learn more in the super specials maybe <laughs> maybe that's where well those we are all about mrs those are all about mrs jeepers unless she like visits every kid at home there are some holiday specials that are not about Mrs. G. Right. Maybe we get the holiday uh, traditions of each family. Uh, aliens don't carve jack-o'-lanterns. Swap monsters don't chase wild turkeys. Mrs. Claus doesn't climb telephone poles. It does seem to be hitting most of the Christian <laughs> holidays, at least. Wait, by that, do you mean Thanksgiving or whatever well, no, the no, no, swap there's a, monster there's a Christmas holiday one. There's an, there's an Easter one. All the sort of commercialized the Christian, ones, guess, Christian right, holidays. Right. Yes, right, right, right. And then there's St. Patrick's Day, uh, Halloween, and Thanksgiving. The Halloween one, I feel oh, like, I must be, like, just, I mean, they're all kind of Halloween ones. In a way, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> they really are. I do, so the next part of the book, right, is they think that Eddie is kind of upset that no one is on his side. Mm-hmm. Which is, again, like, these four characters apparently, like, repro- you know, come back. They recur and come back. So I-, I would be interested to know from anybody who is, like, super into this series if other books focus on Howie or, in particular, Howie or Liza more. Because, like, in the middle of this book, they're, Eddie's like, I got to go to her house to prove that she's a vampire or something um, that she's like out of, out of the ordinary and, or or it's to prove that he's not a chicken. Right. right? I was going to say that's like, of course, such a core part of the conversation. And I I think like it's, it's something that I see in a lot of books meant for kids, particularly from like the eighties and nineties where it's like the ultimate fear is of being a quote unquote sissy, which I think is probably a word that Mm -hmm. is not used anymore correct um i sure hope that it's not but um i thought that it was interesting because i felt like for the first half of the book melody was almost positioned as like this goody two shoes character where maybe i just identified with her a little bit as the one who always like wanted (laughs) to be the best at everything and so i was probably projecting but i was probably i was thinking like she's this teacher's pet and she's like so well behaved and a goody two shoes and all of that um but then when Eddie starts like, you know, kind of getting his back up about about why everybody's behaving and he really wants to get to, to the bottom of what's going on. And again, like he really does not want people to think that he's a sissy. Melody then comes in and is like, well, I'm even less of a sissy than you. So it's like she's not necessarily a teacher's pet so much as she's just like really competitive. Um, and she's going to be like even less scared of things than Eddie. And she's going to be even better at being like rebellious than Eddie is. Um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting dynamic, but the fact that like the absolute worst thing that you could be is afraid or unwilling to step up to a dare, I think is like, I mean, you see it in kids movies and kids TV shows too, where it's like, you know, how many times has the plot of a whole kids movie turned on like a dare, you know, and on kids, like just feeling this pressure to step up to the plate on something that they think their friends would never do. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, it it's crops up a number of times just in this book. Like it, you know, you can spin out like Christmas story and um, even like 
the all the stuff in like Back to the Future about being a chicken and you know fun stuff like that. But this is like Eddie multiple times. People are like Eddie, you won't you won't be Eddie, and he's like, yes, I will. Eddie's not a sissy. Um, yeah, I mean you you live by peer pressure you die by peer pressure i guess yeah that's that's the lesson of eddie (laughs) yeah and he and melody both step up and they i like the fact that they sort of like team up i mean at a certain point they're not really against each other anymore as they're like going into this house as a team originally they were enemies but now they're friends um and they have Mm -hmm. to like be there for each other when they go into the house at night and find that there's a mysterious thumping coming from the long box in the basement of Mrs. Jeepers' house, which they, of course, take to mean that there's a dead body inside. Um, and, of <laughs> course, like, why wouldn't that be the assumption? Or maybe, you know, maybe it was her inside resting because right. she's a vampire. Who knows? Um, I like that they don't really they don't really come to a firm conclusion. They're, they even toss out that maybe she's married to Count Dracula and he was in the box. Um, and later she says that, I think Mrs. Jeepers says that he died. Yeah, she says again, her husband died. But that doesn't assuage any concerns, right? Because maybe he's undead. So who but knows? I remember her being really, and this happened several times in the book to create the era of mystery that surrounds Mrs. Jeepers. But she answers questions <laughs> in a deliberately roundabout way that really, like... <laughs> What does she think that she is doing? Is she trying to convince these kids that she might be a vampire? That's the only justification I can think of. Do you so think that she just this. wants them to know that she is? She's like sort of sneakily being like, just so you guys know and winking at them. Like, let's just all be on the same page here that I'm <laughs> a vampire. I don't know, she, maybe. Uh, she yeah, did she's say that she... found the passage, but yeah. Go okay. Ahead. She had to. F- she said that she fled Romania. Right. And she didn't... Mm-hmm. Her family had to flee, which in my brain was like, oh, it's the early 90s. There's a lot of conflict <laughs> in Central to Eastern Europe. Interesting. Little touch there. Um, but it could also be because she's a vampire and, like, eight people. Who knows? Um, but then, like, sh- p- kids break into her house... She knows that they broke into her house because she heard noises, she says. And she shows up the next day, like, wearing, like, a bat bracelet and, like, basically decked out to troll them. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of rad, actually. Yeah. Um, I've never seen a bat bracelet before, Eliza told her. Where'd you get it? My husband gave it to me. Where is he? Liza asked. Well, I am not exactly married anymore. That's the first week. <laughs> How come? Howie asks. Are you divorced? My parents are divorced. <laughs> Poor Howie. You just want to talk about it, huh? <laughs> not exactly. My husband died, Mrs. Cheaper said. Oh, I'm sorry, Liza said sadly. It is quite all right. Also weird. <laughs> Sometimes I feel as if he is still with me, Mrs. Cheaper said cheerfully. <laughs> Mrs. Jeepers, what are you up to? What's your game? It's just a very mature conversation to be having. Even if you back out the vampire stuff, even this whole conversation about like, oh, like, are you divorced? It feels like a very adult conversation to be having with your third grade students. It feels very 90s. It feels like very like the crest of kids going through divorce. And like, I don't know, that was a thing that felt like a given. My parents split up when I was young. And so like it felt like a given yeah. In our generation, but it felt like we were the first one where it was kind of a given. And there was a lot of like articles in the news about like divorce rates rising and stuff like that. 
And so like you and you would see it in a lot of movies um, where it's, you know, like your Mrs. Doubtfires and things and your Santa Clauses, um, mm-hmm. which are like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, dad can't handle family life. So he acts out and we have to deal with the consequences. That's a 50 percent of movies released in the 1990s, I think. Um and so it's interesting that that little nugget is there from Howie, but then yeah, you're right. It's like how do you have, how do you identify that you're in the middle of a serious conversation? It happens very quickly with kids, where like all of a sudden you are just having a real conversation when actually you thought you were talking about a bat bracelet, and now <laughs> it's like about. I I've, when I was running a summer camp a couple of years ago, like had an it had a cool conversation with a kid about like a wrestling show she went to this like adorable 10 year old telling me about wrestling and then like in the middle of it talking about like how long her parents had been split up and how she was dealing with it. And it's like, it's kind of matter of fact for a kid depending. And you're and you're like, as an adult going, do I need to be extra sensitive here? Or can I just act like I would normally act? Uh, it sounds like Mrs. Jeepers played the vampire card hmm. instead, uh, which seems to have worked for the rest of the book. Uh, Kids are cool. Kids are rad. Yeah. I mean, I think that this book is, I mean, and as we said, it's written by teachers. So I think it's, it's sort of like a fun peek into the way that they perceive kids at this age. The fact that like, because you can read this book in in one of two ways, really. I mean, I guess there are probably a lot of ways you can think about it, but the way I, there's sort of two like main readings that I can think of. The first is that like, Yes, the Mrs. Jeepers is a vampire and like we're meant to read into this like mythical storyline and um and the like, case closed. End of story, the kids are right, done. I think the other way is that there's like a perfectly reasonable explanation for Mrs. Jeepers somewhat like eccentric behavior. Um, she lives in an old house, you know, not a haunted house, but a house that's older and maybe looks different than the other house in the neighborhood. She dresses differently than the other teachers, but just because she has a different style, you know, and, and the kids first instinct is just to be like, Oh, well, she's a vampire. Um, and I think that coming from teachers, this book maybe is like meant to sort of be a subtle nod to that, which is that, you know, obviously kids have this tendency to use their imaginations and sort of blow things out of proportion. Um, and that's a fun way to read it as an adult. And I think like the more I think about it, that's sort of the way that I want to think. That's sort of the way that I want to mm. reflect on the book because it makes it funny. Um, and I, it's kind of fun to think about like all the perfectly logical explanations for Mrs. Jeeper's behavior that might explain away just like the irrational conclusions that these kids are jumping to. As as happy as I am for them to have these like beautiful imaginations, um, it's just fun to think about like mm, what's actually going on here. Yeah, like I feel like he is always with me could just as easily be... Mrs. Jeepers expressing like a deeply held faith or something. Yeah. But because it's a public school, she, she's not allowed to bring it up in more explicit that's, terms than that. And that's yeah. why she's fake. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk through the, the two like supernatural moments, Andrew, that happen? Cause this is an interesting, cause I do want to, I want to unpack these now with your reading alley. Of yeah, like, so this is, yeah, this is Eddie acting out. Like the whole second half of the book is just Eddie 
Eddie determined to, I have a to note get that, what he needs out of this. This section is called Eddie Reborn. <laughs> like Eddie has fought with a fourth grader who called him a sissy. And he's like, no, I will be Eddie. And I will be more Eddie than I've ever been. Always be Eddie. Mm-hmm. A-B-E. Always be. <laughs> so uh, Eddie is acting out as he is wont to do. And he is chewing some gum and making a lot of burping noises to try and disrupt class. And then he blows a bubble and burps at the same time, which honestly is impressive. True. Like I would, I am interested to see a kid do that. And then he decides I'm going to just blow the biggest bubble I can and then pop it. And before he can do that, Mrs. Jeepers like rubs her magic brooch and points at him and the bubble pops all over him and gets gum in his hair and stuff. Creepy. Creepy, and yet, <laughs> and yet, maybe she just happened to be pointing at him, and the bubble was so big that it just, it, it just was so big that then it sort of like went kind of far over the sides of his face when it popped. Yeah, like uh-huh. maybe she's a she is really well schooled in like physics, and she could just tell that the tensile strength of the bubblegum bubble was about to give out at the exact moment that she pointed. Right. This is this is the one. Where I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, the the book is being a little cute about whether she's a vampire or not. The second one where Eddie is disrupting the multiplication relay, which which I'm not sure what that is. No, I was really super into this. Yeah. Yes. I think I would have enjoyed that as somebody who didn't like math. I think I probably could have gotten behind something like this. As a kid who was dominant in multiplication table nonsense like this. Where it was like lightning round, um, like like you're at the arcade and you have to quarter up. Like person who wins stays king of the hill nonsense. Come at me with my nines. I'm gonna multiply all my nines. Sit back down, you losers. I was super into this section of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but, um, what happens to Eddie? Here? Ed, Eddie is disrupting this multiplication thing, and Mrs. Jeepers rubs her brooch until it glows bright green, and then Eddie stands stock still in the middle of class for the rest of the exercise and then at the end of class she snaps her fingers and he has no memory of anything that happened in the interval and like that obviously is not a coincidence (laughs) i don't think yeah i mean harder for me to explain that one (laughs) harder for me to explain that one away because it's not even like she does a like a hypnosis routine Right, which you could like maybe explain away with like it just mesmerizing him or something. Like she just kind of rubs it, it glows, and then he's stuck there. And like the yeah, memory like, lapse and stuff. It does feel supernatural. For for if there were a section at the end where everything was explained to have a totally mundane like reasoning behind it. I don't know if just like Eddie has narcolepsy <laughs> and he just like fell asleep in the middle of class and then woke up at the end I don't, I don't know but this this is one the bubble one i was like okay could could go either way this is sort of ambiguous maybe she did it but probably she didn't and then when she straight up hypnotizes a kid in the middle of class like that 
something's going on here. If we hadn't been in in Eddie's head, though, enough to know that, like, he couldn't remember anything, then I would say this almost seems like a performance that Eddie would put on, though. Like, he seems like the kind of kid who would just, like, stand up. He would do this just sort of to be performative and to put on a show. So I think if we had had less of a peek into his mindset around it, there Mm -hmm. could be an argument to be made that this is sort of just, like, another part of his class clown routine. So you're pitching either either Eddie and Mrs. Jeepers are in cahoots or this is just some kind of false flag operation where Eddie is just trying to get attention any way he can. Right. And I know both of those pitches are much more complicated than she's just a vampire <laughs> and we're meant to have fun as kids and believe that the teacher is a vampire. But that's how I'm reading it. Sure. <laughs> I'm really now obsessed with an Eddie truther mentality where Eddie was he was never hypnotized. He just did it himself to make the teacher be a vampire and get everyone on his side. That rules. You I never think know the, with the, Eddie, really. I mean, he is a wild card for sure. That's true. Like, the garlic thing doesn't... So, like, the next thing they do is, like, Howie and Melody, they find... This always happens in vampire fiction. Someone finds a book about vampires. And it's like, what if we put garlic everywhere? They're like, oh, I have some garlic salt. And they're like, that's good enough. Mm -hmm. And she sneezes a bunch. But then there's even a line from Eddie later where he's like, I don't like garlic. Yeah. That stuff stinks. I do... This is a... During this moment is a good... uh, like some texturing of the Eddie Melody relationship that we talked about. Oh, earlier, sure. Yeah. Where, where Melody says that um, Eddie wasn't exactly her favorite person, but she still didn't want anything bad to happen to him. Mm. Yeah. So I, that, I, I, that was an interesting character moment in a book that doesn't, that only has two characters really. And it's Mrs. Jeepers and Eddie himself. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> There's a moment where, where Eddie is like disappointed that Howie won't cause trouble with him. And he has like a little like, man, Howie used to be cool moment, which like goes by <laughs> really quick. We don't get much of Howie in this book. Yeah. Um, I want more Howie. Yes. Liza. I think Liza is used sparingly. Liza is like, Hey, what if the world is more than it seems the, the character um right and i'm fine with that but i th- i could use more howie and maybe he comes up in other books <laughs> so they, they but then yeah yeah they do the garlic she sneezes a lot eddie is basically like like you said you know could i but it was weird because then he sort of was going against his own point where he he was like yeah i don't like garlic either and so then i was thinking so do you think she's not a vampire like what what is your again what is your end here i feel like he couldn't quite decide how he felt about it because now he's arguing the opposite point that a lot of people don't like garlic i certainly don't like garlic um and but then he as we spoke about um she finally sort of has like enough of his bullshit and calls him into the hallway (laughs) and excuse any page turning but i i feel like we need to sort of like actually read this last section here because yeah because this this bears like more than any of the other things we've talked about so far this this bears a lot of discussion because what yeah what are the even the options of what she could have done to this child right so we get very little we get mrs jeepers pulled eddie from his desk and said very quietly i will speak with you in the hall this instant we then get the other kids cleaning up the classroom kind of trying to restore order because they probably are extremely freaked out for obvious reasons um and then all of a sudden 
we have them back under the oak tree. Um, and what we get from Eddie is, I'll only say this, you guys were right. Mrs. Jeepers is no ordinary teacher. Is she a vampire? Liza asked. Howie grabbed Eddie's arm. Come on, you can level with us. Cool, Howie. Um, but Eddie wouldn't tell them what happened. All he said was, I know one thing. I'll never make her mad again. For the rest of the year, Eddie kept his promise. As a matter of fact, nobody in the third grade at Bailey El at Bailey Elementary ever dared make Mrs. Jeepers mad, and her green brooch never glowed again, although she wore it every day. <laughs> I just feel unsatisfied. Keeping those kids on notice. I just feel yeah. unsatisfied. I, what does she have on Eddie? Yeah, did like, she, does like, she find that he, like, grows weed under the bleachers <laughs> or something? <laughs> like, what is, what's, why? Why has Eddie been muzzled? Yeah, what did they talk about in the hallway? Vampires don't wear polka dots, but blackmailers do wear polka dots, is what I have learned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's got something on him. <laughs> yeah, what did he admit to somewhere. her out there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's a fraud. Mm -hmm. he, he's Maybe he attends another school where he maintains a straight A average. And oh. He doesn't want the other kids at Bailey School to find out and ruin his sort of bad boy image. Sure. Yeah. That would be very embarrassing for him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. very into chess but yeah it's, it's odd that this kid who has to this point been driven by peer pressure and an overwhelming need for attention suddenly has an opportunity to get both like to, to be the center of attention and also to have these kids like all like hanging on his every word and he declines and like what is what's happened Something is something is afoot here. I mean, it's a very unsatisfying ending to us, but I guess if I think if I think about myself as a kid, maybe it's a more fun ending than than knowing. I'm not sure. I mean, I guess it at least gets you to read the next book. And I will say, book number two in the series, Werewolves Werewolves Don't Go to Summer Camp, sounds pretty juicy. So maybe you get to the end of this book and you don't know, and you're like, oh, maybe I'll find out in the next book. And then it goes on for eighty books where you're like, oh, mm -hmm. do werewolves go to summer camp? I'm going to have to go on to book number three. Santa Claus doesn't mop floors. Does Santa Claus mop floors? We still don't know. Leprechauns, do they play basketball? And it just goes on and on. And maybe that's <laughs> the joy of being a kid and reading this book because as an adult, I just feel a little bit let down. I feel like I'm watching Lost. Like the 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 <laughs> books are so much more interested in asking questions than in providing answers. Yeah, and I guess that's the and fun that of it. Messy, yeah. I, I guess, again, like you were saying, if it's a conversation in the classroom of third graders, fourth graders, that's fun and it gets kids into reading. I found an article on School and Library Journal, um, and it's a series called Endangered. It's a series of articles called Endangered Series, and it's these librarians that are basically finding um, paperback series from the 80s and 90s and talking about why they're waning in popularity and whether or not they want to try to, like, bring them back in their own libraries. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And they sort of make a case for both sides. So for Bailey School Kids, their case for keeping was school stories are a large segment of the early chapter book market. For good reason. They speak to the experience of students in a way other kinds of books don't. Bailey School Kids does a nice job of taking school stories and tweaking and them making for engaging reading. The case for not, it's a sort of twist on the case for keeping, since there are so many school storybooks that makes this series seem less essential. And as is typical for books getting on in years, the covers aren't helping matters. I think it's interesting that at no point in either of these sides, they mention the fact that these are school stories with a very strange twist, um, the supernatural stuff going on. But I, I think I generally see where the case for not is coming from. I mean, these are nice school stories, but 
I think there are a lot of really great school stories out there for kids. I, I think maybe for reluctant readers, this is like a really fun series um, because yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it's a sort of puts a twist on those more like mundane day in day out tales of just like being a kid. Um, but I would not be surprised if these sort of went by the wayside. I think kids are also now used to like seeing supernatural plot lines told in like such a sensational way because of technology and just like what we're able to do with animation and stuff. Like I, I just don't know that kids would be taken with this on the page as much now as they were in the nineties. Well, I feel like the, and this is the case with a lot of this nineties fiction, but just like the, the sheer quantity that is out there, like just talking about like this, uh, choose your own adventure, goosebumps, babysitters club. Like they all ran, for so long, I think many of them, not all of them, but but many of them just ended up having ghostwriters instead of the original author. It's surprising you know, that this was all the, books. all the two of them. Yeah. To be yeah. perfectly honest. Yeah. But uh, but I think whether whether this is deserved or not, I think it does create sort of an air of disposability to these books. Like it's as opposed to some kind of you know fiction that is endured like maybe narnia or some of some of the other like shorter series that have like a limited number of entries like no one entry is particularly special and so there's no big push to preserve it like there is for for something that's maybe a little more narrowly focused and a little more targeted does that make sense yeah i think so yeah it feels like this is like a step above reading like a longer comic strip right like it's like your inner it's a couple of characters that get introduced very very quickly a couple of memorable scenes but like ultimately nobody really changes that much and you don't really learn anything new so it's mostly just about like picturing these interesting scenarios and thinking about what you would do if you were there um it's not about like really any of the kids like diving into their lived experience or something like that um and so yeah it does feel just it feels disposable in the way that like an enjoyable comic strip can feel disposable where it's like yeah that was funny and i know those characters and so i'm gonna read the next one and see what happens and then in aggregate i will remember the bailey school kids and all of their adventures but i'm not gonna if I read, if I was a kid and I read all eighty of these, I probably wouldn't be like, "Oh, here are my three favorites." I'd probably just be like, "Oh yeah, that was a weird world of characters." Yeah, yeah and, and this and this carries over to a lot of more like adult focused genres like romance and yeah, yeah. fantasy. Like I, I'm thinking of, there. I mean, there are a ton of sort of disposable like murder mystery books that are very formulaic. Um, I think the Redwall books beyond like the first two or three. Mm-hmm are formulaic to the point of being forgettable in a sort of similar way. So it's, it's, it's not a pro it's not a problem exclusive to this like kids fiction, but it is, yeah, it's, it's not even inherently that, a problem per se. No, 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 if you're just, going if, with the if, right if expectations, you, if you have something that runs for a, a million books and it's, it's so formulaic that you know exactly what the beats are going to be before you even pick the thing up, then yeah, like obviously, if you are an educator trying to make a reading list or like develop some kind of curriculum that's going to stick with kids, like maybe you don't go for these first. Uh, I was just looking at, I was looking again at the book list because what's interesting about this one is that it hits on the archetypical like student teacher 
relationship in elementary school where like you're still like do teachers even go home mm-hmm. do they just live here <laughs> right like they might as well be supernatural beings right because you don't really like the only, the adults that you have frames of reference for are your parents maybe or whoever cares for you and you know the same guardians of of your friends um and so you're getting to an age where you're starting to meet and really grok other adults. And so these other books are like uh, werewolves don't go to summer camp. Santa Claus doesn't mop floors. Leprechauns don't play basketball. Ghosts don't eat potato chips. Like who are we? I'm interested in what the other books might be doing with like what are the relationships with these people that the kids are meeting and how might maybe over time like that gets really playful because is it like different modes of is it always different modes of authority or is it about just kind of like maybe meeting some other types of people that they wouldn't otherwise meet um like is like aliens don't wear braces like is that a new kid at school who has braces and is also kind of odd and they don't you know maybe they think that they're an alien um maybe a dentist maybe it ooh maybe a dentist an alien dentist um like the movie coneheads um i yeah it's just to me it's interesting that like because this is the first one it really keys in on that on that kid experience of how you relate to a teacher if they're all that way that would make them extra disposable but i wonder if some of maybe why they succeeded for their time was because they were kind of exploring different adult like adult young kid like vernaculars for lack of a better word yeah taking kids to camp and to different seasons i think that worked successfully for so many of these scholastic paperback series of the 90s Mm -hmm. i mean even Mm -hmm. if you look at a babysitter's club they went on all kinds of adventures and they're building different kinds of relationships with neighbors and other adults you know it's just i think that was a an interesting and common model and i think if nothing else, I think this series is such a great entry point for kids, especially reluctant readers, into other kinds of series. It seems like a pretty natural progression to me from this series to Goosebumps. I've only ever read one of the Goosebumps books, um, but it seems like mm-hmm. this, that it seems to me like a librarian who sees a kid who enjoyed Bailey School Kids could then very easily say to them, okay, yeah, I think you'd love Goosebumps. And this is such a, I think, a narrow window of time that a kid would be into books like this because it's such like a specific reading level. Um, and I think kids could grow out of this very quickly. Like there's only a couple of months when this would be cool to a lot of kids. <laughs> um, so I think you sort of have to catch them at the right moment. And I think like a series like this can really help build a kid into a future genre reader. You know, even if it's somebody who ends up just reading through a lot of books that are ultimately forgettable to them. um, I think that that sort of like breeds that kind of a reader. Um, And it's a great, like for those kids that like, aren't quite ready to read a chapter book, um, but are past picture books and, you know, aren't snobs like I was, this is like a really great (laughs) series to meet them where they are. I think. Well, and, and to just to just to be one hundred percent clear, like I am in no way trying to like pass judgment on on genre fiction yeah. or, or um, yeah, yeah, like scholastic paperbacks and stuff. Like I read a ton of them. I enjoyed it. If you read them and you enjoy it, like that's great, and and please keep doing it. But I'm I'm just I was talking purely about the uh the the like preservation. Question. Yeah. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think and that's like. Are true. they still relevant? Yeah. 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 I don't know that they are, but I'm glad that we had an opportunity as three adult yeah. people to discuss in such depth. I have to tell you, I did not know that we were going to 
have such an intense conversation about this 77 page book, but <laughs> I'm glad that we did. And I appreciate you joining me for it. Other than the Bailey school kids, what have you been reading and loving lately? Because we here at SSR are always trying to help our listeners grow their reading lists. So doesn't certainly does not need to be a kid's book or a YA book. Anything that you've been enjoying lately that you would recommend is fair game. Andrew, can can you legitimately recommend the Wheel of Time series, which I know you did a big reread of recently? Man, you can't. You can't. We've already been going for an hour. I can't go for another hour. <laughs> this is now a Wheel of Time podcast. It was a Bones podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's a Wheel uh-huh. of Time podcast. I mean, they are doing a TV series about it, so I guess it's it's going to find some kind of renewed relevance uh, in in much the same way as like the Lord of the Rings books did or the uh, the uh, Song of Ice and Fire books did. I mean, read the first one, and if you like it, keep going, and if you don't, then don't, is the most, like, succinct advice. Like, they were very important to me because I read them as a teen. I reread them as an adult and had some problems but thought a lot of the, like, character work held up, so I don't know. But it's it's a huge time investment to just, like, casually recommend that people get into. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, f- I find it sort of hard to read beyond uh what we're doing for overdue right now so right now i'm reading the fountainhead by ayn rand which is definitely not something that i would recommend that most people get into (laughs) but um a while back craig and i read uh emily wilson's translation of the odyssey and i keep i keep thinking about it a lot even though we finished it a while ago because it's really exceptional and and it and it makes it accessible for a modern audience without um sort of diluting why it's like a capital I important work. Yeah. So that's, I guess if I had to pick something, that would be what I'd say. What, you, what about you, Craig? Um, since we were, we're recording this um, not long after our, our October recording. So I read the ghost bride by Yang Chi Chu um, for our spooktober series. And I really enjoyed that book. It's like, it's not YA, but it has a lot of the same beats and the same arcs in it. So if like, if a teen girl or like eight, well, she's 18 um, kind of like discovering who she is by going to the afterlife and still trying to figure out who she's going to end up with or not. Um, sounds like something you might be interested in. It's a really cool book. It does a couple of different things at once. Um, and it was one of the ones that I've read for the show recently that I was like, Oh, I'm just excited to, like find out what happens like i was a very quickly took my podcaster critic hat off um because the book just demanded that i do it so the ghost bride it was fun well thank you for those recommendations i will include links to them in the show notes for this episode it is so nice as a book podcaster to to find a book that you're reading for the podcast that doesn't feel like homework so yeah (laughs) um, i would say that's a bit that's a glowing endorsement and uh, i appreciate you both taking the time to read vampires don't wear polka dots Listeners, if you don't listen to the Overdue podcast, not sure what you're doing, please go check it out. It's been so fun talking to both Andrew and Craig for this episode. Um, and thanks again for your time. I, I, I want to know how long it did take you to read this book, though. Seriously, these all 77 pages. I mean, I read half of it yesterday between like 5.30 and 5.45. <laughs> and then I read the other half of it today between like 620 and 635. So, All right. Yeah. I don't feel so bad then for asking. Yeah. It wasn't a big ask. Yeah. No, it, no, was, it was like it was a, a hot half hour. It was about, <laughs> a, it was about a half hour, which was kind of, it was neat to read a book that short. 
to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. It was neat well, to, to like. Not, to go back to the Fountainhead thing again, <laughs> you can spend half an hour reading a chapter of that thing. So, yeah, it's kind of nice to be able to consume an entire work in a manageable amount of time. Yeah, you can yeah. tell a story in that period, which is kind of cool yes. to, to be reminded of. But thank you again so much. It's great talking to you, and I hope you have a great night. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much. Us. Bye. Bye. That was a headgum podcast. I'm pretty sure it's vampires don't wear polka dots. Well, do I have to say all of that again? It's definitely don't wear polka dots. I said never both times. You did. And I almost corrected you, but I wasn't 100% sure. And then you said it the second time. I think. I was like, yeah, I'm more you just, sure this can you time just that that's not me right. that I need to fix that and I will find a way to drop it in. I'll do it in post. What am I supposed to slack you? Just say that vampires don't wear polka dots. <laughs> Why don't you just say the word don't like eight different times right now and you can just take the best take and put it in there? Don't. 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 <laughs> Perfect. I love it.